good to be together to worship this morning. We are continuing our summer all-age pattern of worship, so there will be some opportunity for movement around uh, the place to engage with the material in different ways. Also, um, when we get to the Lord's Prayer, we normally say that in our own first languages and our own preferred versions. So I think we are due at least five, possibly six languages this morning, which is fantastic. This is part of what unites us with followers of Jesus all around the world. Our theme today is I am the Good Shepherd and that is expressed in a lot of the songs that we will be singing. And so we're going to start off by singing something that's becoming a bit of a favourite here I think, Stuart Townend's version of the 23rd Psalm, The Lord's My Shepherd I'll Not Want. And if you're able and would like to You're invited to stand as we sing. And so we come to God in prayer, and after I have led us in prayer, then we are invited to share together in the Lord's Prayer. And 
If you're not sure of the words, there will be a version on the screen. So let's pray together. Welcoming God, we have come here today with these people to worship you. We have made a choice to be here and not somewhere else. Whether we have come out of habit or routine, whether we have come expectantly or reluctantly, whether we have come feeling exhausted or energised, whether we have come in the midst of struggles or from the middle of the road of everyday life, we have come trusting that we will find something to sustain us in the days ahead. We thank you for each other, for those we know well and love deeply, for those we are meeting for the first time and may never see again, for the gift of a smile or a kind word, for the sharing of news, for the privilege of hearing and being heard. Welcomed and accepted, valued and embraced, we listen for your voice. In the songs we sing, the scriptures we hear, the activities in which we participate, and in the spaces between, in the stillness, in the silence. We enter this place physically and spiritually, crossing the Jesus threshold that links earth and heaven, sacred and profane, Sunday and every day, bringing with us our concerns and cares and offering our prayers for the increase of your kingdom of shalom as we share in the comforting, familiar words Jesus gave his followers, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We're going to have a quiz to get us going this morning. Um, does anybody ever remember the mystery voice quizzes that you used to get on the radio oh, way back? And they would play you a short snippet of somebody who had been in the news at some point, and you had to try and guess who it was. And sometimes you would instantly know it, and other times it would run for weeks and weeks, and nobody ever seemed to guess it, and the prize would go up. I think it was £10, I think, in those days. You used to go by £10 a time. And, and if you won £100, you thought you were rich. Well, I have no prizes this morning, but I have got 12 voices for you to listen to. They are all fairly well known in the UK anyway. Uh, So listen to them. Some of them are quite short, some are a bit longer. And at the end of each one, if you know who it is, you can call out 
and we'll see if we can get them all. Well, I'm Jewish and I couldn't care less. At the end of the day, you're saying to me that you've brought them in here because there's nothing personal about this. It's all to do with you don't think they perform well on this task. Is that what you're saying to me? It is. Okay. Alan Sugar. Yeah, that's Alan Sugar on The Apprentice. Uh, I think that particular contestant had, had said he was Jewish and then didn't know what a kosher something or other was. So Alan Sugar kind of got him on that one. Okay. I do, I, I, I fly, and that's when I'm, I'm my happiest, when I fly away on some kind of, kind of, like I nearly did it with the beans a minute ago, I mean, that, 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 <laughs> that's, go ahead, fly. Okay, Benny Conn, I have to confess, he was a late substitution, because I was going to have Bob Geldof, but he got himself into the news for all the wrong reasons this week, so I thought I'd better take him out. Okay. Maybe sometimes... It becomes a problem for me, especially over the last couple of years. I've stopped reading everything because I can't cope with it. Anyone know who that is? Cheryl Cole, yeah. I love that um, Geordie way of saying years. It's like years or something. The thing is, I want, you, you've got to remember, I wanted to be a pop singer. I wanted to be a singer. And I wanted to perform from the age of three. Silla Black with a lovely Scousey accent. We're getting some good varieties of accents anyway today. Uh, Sutter, I mean, uh, there will be more extreme climates, very difficult to predict, heaven knows, but that will be certainly one of the things. Yes. But the second thing is that that forest had a peculiar kind of ecosystem. Unlike a, um, a European forest, all the fertility is in the forest itself. The land, the land itself is quite poor. And so what you will actually do when you cut it down, if you cut it down, A, for the timber, or B, uh, in order to grow oil palms or something like that, that will only last a short period and you will be left with a desert. Now that... Yeah, anybody know where that accent is? Apart from being posh. Okay, that's a Leicestershire accent. That's a very posh Leicestershire accent. Uh, David and Richard Attenborough are two of Leicester's proudest exports, I think. And you're never going to do anything right unless you've actually done things that have taught you a lesson. And I've been taught many, many lessons. And that was short, yeah. Gordon Brown with a lovely Scottish accent. Germany, he believed, was running out of time. A decisive victory meant striking at the heart of the Western Front. That meant France. Yep. No idea what Falkenhayn's Well, sometimes you know it's coming, but, you know, for then, I, I honestly didn't, I didn't see the guy that was... I could see he was behind me, but I thought I, I was past him fully, yeah, so... Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton. Right. You should get this one. As this year draws to a close, I would like to reflect more directly and more personally on what lies behind all the celebrations of these past 12 months. <laughs> Absolutely, Jeff. It's me with my posh voice on. <laughs> okay, who's that one? <laughs> okay, nobody's going to say it. That was the Queen. No, oh, it sorry. didn't, seem didn't to. hear you. It didn't bother didn't me you. with Anne for the first time. It didn't bother me because naturally, most girls I was stepping out with now and again were always taller. <laughs> Ronnie Corbett, yeah. When I was a baby, I told my parents not to expect too much of me because I had a slight disability. 
I didn't make friends very easily. I couldn't trust anybody. And when I did try to speak to people, they made fun of me. It's like Susan Boyle with her lovely East Coast accent. I can't, is it, I can't remember which town she comes from. That's, sorry? Somewhere up on the East Coast, isn't it? I, I can picture it, but I can't think of the name. That's, that'll teach me to go off scripts and not write these things down. One if you more. hang around long enough in this country, a proportion of the people will begin to respect you and even like you. And that is the time to leave. It's Harry Wogan with his lovely, unaltered after all those years, Irish accent. Yeah, so different people with different voices that we recognise. And one of the things we're going to think about today is recognising voices and how that might relate to thinking about Jesus as a shepherd. We're going to sing a really old uh, song that I think I learned in Sunday school. It's so old, it's in the green hymn book, but we know the tune reasonably well. It will also appear on the screen. Loving shepherd of your sheep. Here's the question. Do sheep recognise voices? I'm going to watch a little video of an experiment to see what the answer to that question might be. One more time. Oh, one is. Ha, 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 ha. 
Sheep recognize voices? Looks like maybe they can. We're going to continue to explore that idea and some other ideas in different ways. So if you want to do that through words, then just stay where you are and we'll have a Bible reading and I will do a reflection. If you would like to do something with your hands, uh, which doesn't stop you listening, uh, but if you'd like to do something with your hands up on the mezzanine, um, Emma has organized some creative activities. I think it's Eye of God crosses that you're making up there today. Um, If you like to colour whilst you're thinking, there's some colouring at the back. We've got some word searches and puzzles suitable for different ages. If you fancy those but think, I'd rather not do that in church, that doesn't feel right, just go and get one and take it home with you later. And if you're very little and you just need to run off some steam, uh, the memorial room it, through the door, if, somebody, if your grown-up takes you out there, uh, there's a space to do some, some moving around or playing or screaming or whatever it is you want to do. Uh, we'll have some music as we move around. And then in around about 25-ish minutes from now, we'll hear the music again and we'll all come back together. Verses 11 to 30. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf and sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. 
Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Amen. Shepherds are to be found throughout the entire sweep of the scriptures. Moses, who led the Exodus, spent many years working as a shepherd, probably around about 40, at least figuratively. David, who had become the king of Israel and a prolific writer of Psalms, began his working life as a shepherd too. The prophet Amos introduced himself as the shepherd of Tekoa. And then in the New Testament, of course, there are the nameless shepherds who were tending their flocks by night to whom Jesus' birth was announced. But not only are there the literal shepherds, the image of the shepherd is one of, if not the most commonly used image or metaphor in the Bible. The 23rd Psalm, which we've already sung, attributed to David, imagines God as a shepherd out in all weathers, guiding the flock to places of pasture and water, places of rest and refreshment. Two of the four Gospels record parables about shepherds who set out in search of a single sheep that had become lost or had strayed, depending which version you read, rejoicing over it whilst carrying it back to the safety of the fold. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find people referred to as being like sheep without a shepherd, lost, wandering, alone. 
And of course, when Peter is reinstated by the resurrected Jesus, the work to which he is entrusted is equated to that of a shepherd, tending and feeding both sheep and lambs. It's such a familiar image that even in our urban culture we find it comforting and reassuring, or at least I do, despite the fact that most of us will rarely see a shepherd at work. And if we did see a shepherd at work, the methods used on these islands are a world away from those assumed in the scriptural narrative and image. Our shepherds tend to go behind with dogs and undo things a different way. In just a few sentences, Jesus introduces several ideas and in doing so gets himself in deeper into trouble with the powers that be. As is always the way, we can be sure that every word used by the writer of this gospel has been deliberately chosen. And that as is so often the case, it's those seemingly throwaway words and phrases that merit further exploration. Jesus isn't recorded as saying, I am the shepherd, but rather, I am the good shepherd. So there's a clear inference that not all shepherds are good, otherwise why would you need that adjective? I am the good shepherd is not, as perhaps might seem the most obvious way of reading it, something about the shepherding skills possessed by Jesus. He's not saying I can round up my sheep more efficiently than anybody else. He's not saying I'm the one who always finds the best pasture land or the coolest, cleanest water, though they may be true. What he's actually doing is talking about his character, about his personality and his personal ethics. The Greek word that we translate as good carries with it a sense of a noble character and an attractive personality. The good shepherd naturally draws the attention of the sheep and his actions, explicitly expressed in his willingness to risk even death, are noble. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one that if they could choose the sheep would select for themselves. That's no small claim for him to make, and it's guaranteed to offend the religious officials who see themselves in a shepherding role. And their heredity and their learning is the basis of their credentials. And this noble, risk-taking shepherd knows his sheep as they know him. Again, a word that merits a bit of exploration. In the commentaries I looked at this week, one of them noted that there are two ways of understanding knowledge that are consistent in this reading. The Gospel is written in Greek, so we start with the way it will be understood in the Greek culture of the day. And there certainly are Hellenistic influences in the theology of John's Gospel. Knowledge here wasn't just about assimilation of information, but about understanding that information. 
And at least in some circles, it had a mystical or a spiritual dimension. Gnosis, from which we get the word Gnostic, we drop the G, was more than book learning, more than head knowledge. It had a deeper inner meaning. So for readers of the gospel or hearers of the speaking, influenced by Greek culture of that time, that would be an entirely plausible reading or hearing of that uh, word. But in Hebrew culture, knowledge is much more associated with experience. Again, it's not simply about gathering information and storing it up but more about the discoveries and meaning that's made in the process of learning. It's an experiential viewpoint, and it sets knowledge firmly in the realm of relationship. You generate knowledge, understanding, meaning, in relationship, whether that's a one-to-one relationship or in a community. So for Jewish readers or hearers, that understanding would be more natural. And I think it's interesting that this potential dualism reflects the hypothesis of a balanced both-and Christology of this gospel. That knowledge can have a spiritual, mystical dimension and at the same time a human, earthly dimension and that these coexist in the person of Jesus the Christ the self-styled noble shepherd. Just as any decent shepherd gets to know the personalities of his sheep and they get to know him or her, so there is a deep relational element to the work of Christ. It's not all abstract. It's not all about life beyond death. It's firmly rooted in the grubby reality of the here and now. It's within this relationship that the sheep learn to recognise the voice of the shepherd. And based on their experience, which shows them that he is safe and dependable, they will quite happily trot out of the sheepfold to follow him wherever he goes. So Jesus is, according to what he says... A noble shepherd, not just for the sheep of this sheepfold, but also the sheep of other sheepfolds that he longs to bring together into one single flock. Traditionally, the Jews of Jesus' day would have heard the shepherd and sheep image as referring to them and to their Hebrew ancestors. So if that's the case, who are these other sheep? how could they possibly all be drawn into one single sheepfold? There are a lot of ways that we could hear and understand that, and there are a lot of ways that they could have heard and understood it. Firstly, and reflecting the context in which the gospel was written, it could easily have referred to Jews and Gentiles. For sure, the Jews were the sheep, within the safekeeping of the divine shepherd. But now the same shepherd was going to go out and bring along Gentile believers to join them. That would have been incredibly challenging for devout Jews of the time. 
And for many devout Orthodox Jews of today, the same would be true. This was the challenge the Johannine community faced as it tried to integrate Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And that's important because, as we discovered a few weeks ago when we were looking at the Johannine letters, this was a community in which division and schism were real threats. So perhaps it could refer to other first-century Christian communities, such as those founded by John, but also those founded by Paul, or the original Peter and Disciples group in Jerusalem. Is it maybe a kind of late first-century, early second-century ecumenism that saw that what was shared was greater than what divided the church in Corinth, Ephesus, Macedonia, wherever it was, these were all sheep in the same, under the same shepherd who were called to be one. I think for Christians in our day, the ecumenical reading seems pretty obvious and is largely uncontentious. Though there are, of course, some traditions to this day who, for all sorts of reason, considers others to be utterly apostate, and to be avoided. There will always be those Christian traditions who choose to stay outside such organisations as Acts or Churches Together or the World Council of Churches. But there is a fourth, more controversial reading that arises in a multicultural, multi-faith context. And that is, could it be read that Jesus' sheep include those of other faiths or even of none? Is it conceivable that Jesus could draw those who do not self-identify as Christian into a wider, more inclusive sheepfold? Is it possible that people who are Muslim or Hindu or any other faith or worldview can still hear the voice of Jesus and follow it? And if we think that's possible, what does that look like in real everyday life in Glasgow in 2016? And that kind of brings me to the aspect of the reading that's really occupied my mind over the last week or two. Twice, Jesus says that his sheep listen to or hear his voice. They recognize it and they follow him. But what does that mean? How do we hear Jesus' voice? And if we think we've heard him, how can we be sure we're not just fooling ourselves? I think I can say, in all honesty, that I have heard God speak directly to me exactly twice in my life. The first was the day when I experienced my sense of call to ordained ministry. And as I've told you umpteen times before, I was reading a very familiar passage in which the Apostle Paul says to the young Timothy, you preach the word, etc., etc. Except that on that day those words leapt out of the book 
and I felt they were spoken directly to me. The second time was many years later in the context of a study group in which the facilitator had said something that expressed a very naive faith view inconsistent with the argument they were making at the time. And it would have been so easy for me to say something. But I felt a very clear inner voice that wasn't just my brain say, do not challenge that. And I think that was wise guidance. And it was sufficiently counterintuitive. I was so close to saying something that that wasn't just me making a better call than normal. Some people may never, ever have experiences like that, and that's fine. It's not something to be aspired to. It's not something that makes me better or other people lesser. It's just the way it is and how I believe it to be. So more generally, how do we hear the voice of God or the voice of Jesus? I did a little bit of looking on the internet, because you can do that nowadays. And there were lots of nice pat answers that had, frankly, no substance whatsoever. I was very much reminded of the evening service that had preceded the reading in which I remain convinced that God spoke to me. Perhaps that service was kind of planting ideas in my head that affected the way I heard the reading, who knows. But in a conversational format, we'd been thinking about how do we hear God's voice? And we'd come up with most of the obvious answers in scripture, in the communal process of a church meeting, in songs and hymns, in nature, in everyday conversations, in those seeming coincidences where the same idea crops up independently and perhaps unexpectedly. Well, we all know those answers, but that still doesn't prove that what we think we hear is God and not just our own thoughts or our own egos. So maybe we need to test the voices. How do we ensure that it is the noble, selfless, life-risking shepherd who's calling and not just a very clever imposter? whether we hear that individually or collectively in community. I don't have an exact answer. But perhaps, like the sheep, we build up trust and use our past experiences to guide us. Perhaps we employ our God-given common sense and our equally God-given conscience to help us judge whether what we hear is consistent with what we know of the voice of God or Jesus. That the attitudes and values expressed in what is heard or read fits with those our knowledge in our heads and our hearts tell us. Perhaps we may find unexpected confirmations, conversations that take an unexpected direction or that somebody seems totally unsurprised when we say that this is something we've been thinking about. Recently, I was visiting another Baptist minister and in the course of the conversation said, well, I'm just thinking about exploring this particular kind of chaplaincy. And I looked at them and I said, well, yeah, that was always going to happen. And they went, really? Yeah. Somehow we just hear things that resonate 
and we think, yep, that must be right. And communally, in the context of this sheepfold, this local church, we try to listen for God with and in each other. We try hard not just to express our own opinions, our own preferences, or our own pet theological perspectives, but to remain open to the possibility that God's voice could be heard in the minority opinion. That's why we don't do a lot of voting. The newest member and not automatically in the loudest or the best qualified or the most obviously powerful voices. We try to give everyone voice and trust that somehow in so doing, we get the hint of what God is saying to us. And we can never prove that we've heard and listened to God's voice. There's no knockdown proof. You can't go and, and get a signed letter from God to say, yep, that's what it was. It's only retrospectively that we begin to be able to say with any confidence whatsoever that we're certain that we heard that right. That's certainly my experience when I think about my court ordained ministry, especially on the days when I feel like chucking it all in and going and working in Sainsbury's which all ministers have, fear not. This is not unique to me. Sometimes, of course, we get it wrong. Sometimes we will be lured astray by a clever or cunning imitation of that voice. Sometimes we will hear and not listen. Sometimes we will listen and we will choose not to respond. Sometimes we respond and then we give up. So let's be realistic that we're not always going to get it right. This is not some magic spell. But here's the thing. When we get it wrong, when we don't listen or we don't act or we give up, that noble shepherd doesn't give up, doesn't leave us to our fate. Whether it's climbing down the precipice into a ravine to rescue us, or whether it's untangling the briars or snares that have caught around our feet, whether it is calling and calling and calling until we finally prick up our ears, hear and run towards the source of acceptance. Whatever it is, the good shepherd that is Jesus continues to risk all to gather the sheep and lead us onwards into life. The path can be narrow, as we talked about last week, and strewn with hazards. But we journey onwards, one day at a time, one step at a time, following that still, small voice of love. The love of Jesus, the love of God. Amen. Father, hear the prayer we offer, not for ease our prayer shall be, but for strength that we may ever live our lives courageously.
I was asked if I would do this morning's prayer, and I took this on as part of my Christian commitment. But alas, no words of mine were coming to Mimi, so I'm reading this poem as a prayer. The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd always walks in front, gently leading the way, never behind, driving or pushing, but lovingly guiding each day. And when a sheep wanders away from the security of this place, the shepherd corrects the wayward one in love, mercy and grace. He protects from harm and fear all that follows his lead. His rod and staff guard and comfort, and his hand meets every need. He provides beautiful pastures, rest for the weary and weak, revival, strength and vigour, peace and joy to reap. He sets a table in the wilderness with manna from on high and leads beside the still waters that refresh and satisfy. Oh, what love and tender care such blessings God bestows upon the sheep that closely follow the way the shepherd goes.
loving God who leads us in the paths of life. We bring these gifts of money and we bring them with them ourselves. In our deciding how to spend the money, in our living out our faith, guide us and direct us, for we offer both in the name of Christ. Amen. And so, as we go from this place, we sing a contemporary hymn which has the call of Jesus for each of us. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? We stand if we can as we sing. on from here to where you have work for us to do. Lead us on to risk new adventures in faith and life. Lead us on secure in the love of God. Lead us on energised by the Holy Spirit. Lead us on in the footsteps of the noble shepherd whose voice can be trusted now and always. (laughs) 